0: ever wonder what your therapist is really thinking well that's confidential but in this podcast a few of my therapist friends and me show you what it's really like inside of a mental health professional's brain hi welcome to through the eyes of a therapist podcast i'm crystal martinez-acosta licensed professional counselor board certified counselor we discuss books movies tv shows motherhood current events Clinical issues, mental illness, trauma, and our own personal lives. So, if you want to know what we're thinking, come on in, take a listen. Come see what the world is like through the eyes of a therapist, the podcast that destigmatizes mental illness, humanizes therapists, and demystifies therapy. Hi, everyone. It's Crystal Martinez Acosta here, back on the podcast. Happy New Year. Happy 2022. I'm here today to talk to you about the four main survival mechanisms. The fight, flight, and freeze, and now fawn responses. F-A-W-N. F as in Frank. F as in Fred. F as in Fly. F as in Fork. There are other F words that I can think of that are not appropriate for this podcast, but yeah, we're going to talk about that today. I want to edumacate you on that stuff. So let's get started. Um, why did I choose this topic for today and a solo episode? Well, because, um, I can say a lot about it and it's something that comes up in my trainings, my trauma informed care trainings that I give on a regular basis. If you're interested in those trainings, you can visit www.clarityelpaso.com. And you can write to me at crystal, C-R-I-S-T-A-L at clarityelpaso.com if you're interested in booking me for a training. But anyway, these trauma-informed care trainings have several segments in them. And the first parts of those trainings usually include the introduction to what trauma is. You know, we talk about how trauma is subjective, and how the person who is experiencing the traumatic event gets to define the trauma for themselves, what happens in the body, what happens in the brain, neurologically, biologically, the biopsychosocial effects of trauma. And then we kind of go over the fight-flight-freeze responses, and now the fawning response. And so I think what's interesting, being a clinician... And hearing my clients' stories about their own traumatic events is hearing how the fight, flight, freeze responses come up in session, not just in session, but the stories that they tell me about how fight, flight, freeze fun comes up in their own personal lives and how they're very nuanced. And so I think when we think of fight, flight, freeze, it sounds almost very like cartoonish and like Tom and Jerry like, like fight as in like somebody puts on these giant red boxing gloves and, you know, you start fighting somebody and then flight is like the little cartoon sound effect comes on and you run away from whatever it is that you're horrified by. And the flight is like you grow wings and you like fly away from whatever it is that's bothering you. Um, But I believe it's way more nuanced than that. And I want to talk about those things. And so we've got to talk about stress responses, We've got to talk about trauma responses and how your body is conditioned and trained and has evolved a little bit over time, right? We are still mammals and we're still animals and we have stress responses. We have survival responses that we haven't evolved out of and it keeps us alive. These things keep us alive and I'm grateful for them. Um, I think anxiety is a sign of intelligence on some level, right? I feel like Sometimes when I'm afraid of a bee or some sort of giant insect, um, it's like that's going to keep me alive. If I'm afraid of a snake, you know, that's intelligence on some level, right? Like, I'm glad that we haven't evolved out of certain responses. (laughs) And I tell my clients, especially the ones who have anxiety, it's like anxiety is a superpower. You just have to learn how to use it for good, learn how to control it, learn how to manage it, and use it to your advantage, right? And so, um, we're going to talk about all that today, but let's go in a little bit more of an organized fashion. I'm not necessarily the most linear thinker or talker, and this is my podcast, and I can present this information however I want. However, I understand that the people listening to this will probably appreciate a more organized way of looking at this information. So, let's talk about. First, you know, it's kind of what happens in the body when we feel threatened. Okay. So when we are threatened, the bottom brain or reptilian brain activates, which is what is connected to our spinal cord and our nerves, right? And so this is the animal part of our brain. And if we think of reptiles, that is why we refer to it. Mostly in the, I guess, psychology world, the counseling world, the reptilian brain, because that is really all reptiles need to survive, right? If you grab a lizard by the tail, the tail detaches so that it can run away quickly and survive, right? And continue to live. It doesn't really have the ability to sit there and reason with you at the time and be like, hmm, I'm going to calculate how far away and how tall and how big and how lovely this human being is and how kind they are uh, picking me up by the tail and how much food they're going to offer me in the moment. No, they're just going to like try to get the hell out of there. And so, you know, the reptile brain does that for us. It is very instinctual and quick and does these really fast instinctual sort of um not even calculations it's more like reactions right so trauma's full of just bodily reactions that help us survive and get the heck out of situations that could potentially kill us these are very like life or death situation sort of decisions split second decisions that will help us to survive right Okay, so that's what happens in the brain. Lots of chemicals, adrenaline, cortisol, lots of things happen in the brain to help us move quickly to either fight, right? To either, you know, fight the enemy off, whatever it is, whether it's an animal or another human being or a situation where we have to fight for our lives, flight to run away again from the animal, human being or situation that is threatening, freeze, to, you know, stay very still to survive the situation, animal or human being, or threat, or fawn, which is more of a let me try to kind of people please slash appease slash I'd really like to, you know, kind of please the perpetrator slash threat and kind of Dilute and sugarcoat the situation so that I can safely make my way out of here and survive and not die in this situation, right? Um, Give the person lots of cariños, give the situation lots of sugar so that I can survive and I can just not die. So that's kind of the situation here that we're looking at when we think of the four main survival responses, right? And that's how it would translate in a very black and white, very A sort of life or death situation. So if we look at each one in a very life or death situation, we've seen these things on the news, right? If we think of these really high intensity situations that are very sensationalized in the media, if we think of a fight situation, if you go into You know, you Google a bar fight or something. You can think of if there's an active shooter situation and then there's a person who tackled the active shooter, that person and their survival mechanism, the person who attacked the active shooter, that was their fight response. That was something that they did with their body and their brain in survival mode. And that was a fight response. Not all of us have a fight response, right? When we're under high duress and stress in a life or death situation. But that would be one, you know, kind of spotlight sort of situation that you could think of for the fight response. And then if we think of flight, you know, you think of, I don't know, like these, you know, somebody pulls the fire alarm inside of a school or inside of a a building. And then all these people start to scatter, right? People run. They get the heck out of there and they like push people away and they want to get out. I I think of that (laughs) episode of Seinfeld where um, George Costanza is visiting his girlfriend's family and the apartment is filled with children and old ladies because it's a birthday party and something catches on fire in the kitchen and the apartment starts filling up with smoke and he discovers the fire. He starts yelling, fire, fire. And he runs out, pushes the old ladies over that are in the walkers and everything, and leaves the old women and children, you know, leaves them for dead and runs downstairs and starts talking to the firemen downstairs about how he was doing an act of heroism by making way for everybody to escape the apartment. So that's, you know, a comedic kind of turn on the flight response. But I guess that's an example of the flight response. And then we have the freeze response where, you know, we kind of see people just kind of getting that deer in the headlights look where something could be happening, whether it's an emergency I can think of, you know, where you go into an airplane, right? And there's that emergency exit row and they brief you before you take off on the airplane and they talk to you and tell you, do you agree? And will you be able to get everybody off of this plane safely if you sit in this row? And you have to give a verbal confirmation to the flight attendant before you're able to Embark on the rest of the flight, right? And take off on the flight. And if you're not able to give that verbal confirmation, then they have to move you to a different seat. And I think the reason they do that is because they really don't want you freezing in the middle of a rescue mission, right? And so I can see how if somebody is a freezer or somebody who freezes under high duress or stress, you would be easily susceptible to just having this deer-in-the-headlights look when you have to evacuate a whole plane full of people, right? So those are the fight-flight-freeze responses. And then you have the fawning response, right? So this would be more like if you're in a life-or-death situation, you know, we see it in movies a lot where, let's say, you know, for example, the movie Die Hard or you see even... um movies where there's a hostage situation and somebody tries to go and talk to the people who are holding um, everybody hostage, the perpetrators, right? And they try to reason with them and they try to like maybe flirt with them or they try to offer them money or they try to show them cleavage or they try to offer them whatever type of assets they might have, or they try to plead with them and bargain with them. And that kind of behavior in order to survive a situation where you're negotiating and bargaining or flirting or I guess manipulative behavior, but for the purpose of survival would be considered like a fawning response, right? And I wouldn't necessarily, I don't like to use the word manipulative. I would like to say like bargaining behavior or even like um, resourceful behavior, right? Because it's kind of like you're really trying to just get out of there alive. So by any means necessary, including fawning, right? Even if it's fake. So um, I can think of how this could easily become victim blaming in a lot of situations. And so we have to be really careful, especially as clinicians and as therapists, when we're talking to people who have been victimized by others, especially with like sexual assault or physical abuse or domestic violence, we have to be very careful with our language and make sure that we are not blaming the victim for what happened to them. We cannot use the fawning response as a way to blame the victim. We have to remember that the fawning response is a way that the victim or our client survived that situation and it wasn't because they wanted the abuse or allowed the abuse to happen or needed the abuse or wanted the abuse or gave permission for the abuse or should be blamed for the abuse. It is because they needed to survive, right? And so that distinction and nuance is very important. And so your language in questioning or talking about the abuse with the victim or the survivor is going to be very important and you never want to offend a client. And that's always important in trauma-informed care, And that's the difference between trauma-informed and trauma-focused care. And that's why you want to listen to the previous podcast episode that I recorded about trauma-focused versus trauma-informed care. So now if we can go into the little bit more nuanced stuff about the four survival mechanisms, the way they look in everyday life, right? So we've talked about how they look in a survival situation, right? Like where people really literally Get that adrenaline going and they could, um, lift cars and run, you know, 15 to 20 miles per hour to safety. These are very extreme and real examples of what happens when adrenaline and cortisol and all of that good stuff gets flowing through your veins so that you can survive. But what about other things that we live with in everyday life when our stress responses are triggered after a traumatic event or even if we have not experienced a trauma, how these four survival mechanisms can be triggered anyway in our systems. So for example, if I were to have a, let's say, a fight response on a a regular day without it being a life or death sort of situation where I would have to literally fight tooth and nail for my life, um, it could look anything like irritability like fighting with my spouse. It could be interpreting something negatively. For example, like an email, you know, those clapback emails that you get where it's like, per my last email, and then you send one of those out. That could be, you know, like the fight response wanting to kick in. So being very careful and being aware Of, hey, is this a trauma response that's getting activated? Is this my fight response getting activated or wanting to kind of pop out where I want to pounce on someone? Or is this just, you know, the everyday irritability, right? So I think that the distinction here is whenever you have had a previous traumatic event, if you responded with a fight response, you are much more likely to respond to future stressors with a fight response. If you responded with a flight response during the traumatic event, you're much more likely to respond to future regular stressors with a flight response and so on and so forth. So you responded with a fawn response during the actual traumatic event. In future regular stressor events, you're likely to respond with fawning. And so that's just kind of the other nuance there that you want to remember. So for example, I tend to be kind of like a freezer. And so that's just kind of like how my anxiety activates. And if I can think back to my own trauma, I did respond with a lot of like freezing and deer in the headlights. And so if I think of how I respond when there's like a highly stressful event, or if I need to take action very quickly, and somebody brings something to my attention, and they're like, hey, we need this or that. And if I needed to, for example, be a first responder, which I am not, you know, if I needed to be an EMT or a firefighter or a soldier or something, oh my God, no, forget it. I would be terrible at that job because I would just be freezing all the time. Um, My adrenaline just causes me to freeze. So that's just kind of what happens with me personally. So anyway, going back to the original point, if you were to experience uh, continual fighting responses. It could also look like becoming irritable. It could also look like um, getting offended very easily. It could also look like, you know, wanting to isolate because you get annoyed by people very easily. It could also come across in your tone of voice. I mean, if you were used to being aggressive to survive, you might be described as really like a callous person or a person who just comes across as very strong or a person who comes across as like a no bullshit person or a person who's just very direct. And, you know, that kind of attitude or that directness might have been adaptive and helpful when you were younger or in that past, when it was helping you to survive those situations, when you needed to be aggressive, when you needed to fight people off. But, you know, now that you are not in those situations where you don't have to be physically aggressive or verbally aggressive or cussing a lot or fighting or being defensive all the time, now it probably gets you into trouble. So, thinking of those ways where, you know, with your therapist, of course, right, with your therapist, thinking of ways on how to become more gentle, how to kind of tone those things down, and of course, healing the root of the problem, which is the traumatic event, if that applies in that situation. So in the next one, the nuances for the flight response would be, okay, so a lot of avoidance, right? So with flight or flying or fleeing or running away, right, is just avoiding. So again, to get away from things when you had to survive and run away to survive, that was probably adaptive and helpful in that situation. But maybe now it's not helpful. So avoiding, procrastinating. If you have to have a difficult conversation with someone or if there's a difficult assignment at work or at school or something of that nature where you just really don't want to do it and it's difficult, it's like, oh, I really don't want to do that. And you have to or have that need to avoid, right? Then it's kind of like, ooh, I'm going to avoid that. So running running away doesn't necessarily mean physically running away, but it could physically mean physically running away. So people who kind of like leave the house or leave a situation or walk out when there's an argument or walk away or break up with people when things get hard or walk away or run away from the home when things get difficult or when there's a fight. Um, I was just reading this book called Apples Never Fall by Leanne Moriarty. I don't know if any of you have ever read that, but in the book, the husband of the main character, Joy, he would leave for like days. And I think, I don't know if he's left for like weeks and whenever they would have a fight. And so he would leave the whole family behind and just like go and cool off, but he would come back. But it was always traumatic and kind of unpredictable when he would when he would come back because it was kind of like, what the heck, where's dad, right? So people who leave and flight and run away and walk away from fights and leave things unfinished and things of that nature kind of have that like flight response, right? So doing those sorts of things may have been adaptive again in the past when you were needing to survive a situation and needing to get the hell out of there so that you would live, like literally live, right? And not die. But maybe now when you're not in that situation and you're not in a life or death situation, that could be causing damage to your relationships, to your job, and causing dysfunction in different areas of your life. And so that's, again, when therapy might be helpful. And so on to the third one, the freezing response could look a little bit like a lot of different things. Like I had talked about um, in my personal life, I tend to be a freezer. And so for me, freezing looks a little bit like uh, not wanting to get out of bed or procrastination, which also can look like anxiety. So it's like, oh, I don't really want to do that. Or, oh, I'm frozen. So I'm going to analyze to paralyze, meaning like oh, I know that I need to do that project, so I'm just going to like freeze and sit here. But then hours or days or weeks or months pass by and it's like, oh, I haven't done that yet. Oh, I haven't done that yet. Oh. And in essence, what has happened is that I have frozen. And the phrase that I mentioned right now is called analyze to paralyze because what has happened is that my brain has gotten a hold of whatever concept it is, but my body has not moved. And so um, if any of you have ever experienced that, I'd like to know, you can always write to me if you want and talk to me about it. You can reach me on Instagram, by the way, at through the eyes of a therapist pod. Uh, We could talk about it. Um, I'd be interested to hear from you if you're a fellow freezer. Um, Yeah. So where you just kind of have these things that you know that you need to do, but you like kind of sit there and you're like, oh, I'm frozen. And then before you know it, you have. Sat there for a few hours watching Netflix, doing nothing. And then you're like, oh, crap. (laughs) I should have done that, but I didn't. And now you feel bad about yourself. And then that leads to depression. Anyway, so yeah, also freezing can look like depression as well. It leads to like a vegetative sort of state. And it also can lead to like a dissociative sort of state. What's interesting about dissociation is that dissociation leads to like this interesting, different sort of response in your body um physically and i guess biologically when we talk about trauma responses because what happens in the body is that instead of you getting all this like adrenaline so that you can move forward and you know like either run away or fight the threat what ends up happening is that your body like shuts down so that all the blood goes to your inner organs and tries to preserve you so that in case you get pierced with like teeth or like a weapon you know, back in caveman days, um, you would not bleed out and die. So you would then dissociate and like all these feel good hormones and chemicals would go through your brain so that you kind of enter this like euphoric state so that you, and it's just kind of like this naturally occurring, like sedative situation so that you don't feel a lot of the pain. So yeah, that's what happens with like a freezing and dissociative state which is a little bit more interesting and it's like this sort of like druggish high sort of opioid situation <laughs> like hallucinogenic sort of situation um so freezing is the special one we're all, we're a special breed we're a little bit extra there in that sense um so yeah if you're a freezer get in touch we can talk we can have a convo we can have a group so yeah, uh, freezing is special. And so that's what that looks like on the daily. And then we have fawning. So fawning is also fun, Um, being totally sarcastic, but fawning on the daily in a nuanced way, you know, not in the life or death sort of way, but because your brain, again, is interpreting it as a life or death situation because what it's doing is replicating whatever response you had from the actual traumatic event and it's interpreting it and copy-pasting it into the regular stress of everyday life situation, it's going to, you know, look and feel the same to your brain, but you're going to adapt it to the everyday life situation. And so fawning is going to look like peacekeeping, compromising your values, brown-nosing, sugar-coating, you know, Putting yourself last. You're not gonna be assertive. You're gonna be, you know, just really compromising a lot of your values. So for example, um, let's say that your friend wants to borrow your car, even though you have a doctor's appointment today, the fawning response is gonna be like, Oh yeah, go ahead, sure, borrow it. I'll cancel my appointment. And it's like, bro, you have an appointment with like your neurologist and it's really important, but it's like, no, I really want that person to like me. And it's like, but you see, you don't have to do that because this is not a life or death situation anymore. That person is still going to like you because they're really your friend. This is not like a life or death situation where that person could kill you, you know? So this is the kind of thing that would happen in therapy, right? Where we would talk about that and reframe that and like talk about the difference between like healthy relationships and threatening and exploitative relationships. So anyway, that would be an example of. What, like, the fawning response would look like. So, that was the whole spiel on fight, flight, freeze, fawn responses. If you want to discuss this a little bit further on Instagram, please let me know. Visit me at Through the Eyes of a Therapist Pod. And I hope you enjoyed this podcast. I'll talk to you all soon. And Happy New Year again. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Through the Eyes of a Therapist Podcast. Rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. And please connect with me, Crystal Martinez Acosta, licensed professional counselor, on Instagram at Through the Eyes of a Therapist Pod. More information about booking me for therapy or training can be found there. Until next time, keep on fighting the stigma and go to therapy. I'll see you next time.